Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Product Launch Podcast. I'm the host, Sean Boyce. I would like to welcome my guest and friend today, Ben Ladani, who is the founder and CEO of Creative MMS in Philly. Creative works as a partner to marketing execs and marketing directors who have had trouble reaching their audience with the same tactics that have worked in the past and help them innovate in reaching their audience and generating sales through digital channels. Hello, Ben. How are you? And thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Sean. Excited. Likewise, uh, the topic we want to talk about today is an exciting one and one that's very near and dear to me, especially our listeners, uh, those out there building product businesses and growing them as well. But before we kind of dive into that, I'd love you to have an opportunity to give us a little bit more information about your background and talk to us about how you became the founder and CEO of Creative. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks. So uh, much like you, Sean, I have a technology background, went to school at Villanova and got my master's degree in computer science. Um, and then came out and was working at Lockheed Martin as a computer science guy doing a lot of development. Um, soon went off to be a software architect, a, a chief software architect at a software development company in the outskirts of Philly. Um, and started a life, got married and all that stuff while, uh, while I was doing that. But all along that, I, I kind of started creative as a, a side project slash uh, side business. And um, that was, like I said, probably 15, yeah, 15 years ago. Um, and slowly grew it. I mean, I was working four days a week, 10 hour days at Lockheed, uh, Friday, Saturdays were my creative time where I was working on the business. Um, and I was doing everything at the time, which you could see some of those old designs. They were not, they're not that pretty, but, uh, we grew from there. And I like to say that I, I hired people that were just better than me at everything I was doing from account management, SEO, uh, paid marketing, uh, design development, all of those different things now are specialties that have people that are experts at those individual things. So over the last 15 years, we've grown into a team of 15 people. We have office down in, uh, on Delaware Ave in Philly and uh, a great team, a great culture, a little bit of a, a work remote policy that's definitely been a, a work remote policy uh, full time lately. But, um, but yeah, and, and you know, personally have a family, three kids, uh, love to you know spend a lot of time outside gardening, playing with the dog, uh, you know any sports, basketball, uh, play lacrosse with my son, and just uh, just enjoy being outside more than anything. Thank you for sharing that story. It's always good to know, and I've known Ben for years. Uh, brilliant when it comes to all things marketing. Whenever I had the opportunity to pick his brain about something, I do it because I always learn something. So it's uh, everybody out there that knows is trying to build and grow their product businesses. How important that can be. Right. Having something cool is, uh, is only cool until you can't get anybody else to check it out as well, too. <laughs> so marketing becomes true. pretty important. Uh, so what we want to talk about today, Ben, something that I'm a huge proponent of when I work with clients, we talk about it all the time. I get a lot of questions about it. And realistically, the best way I would summarize it is for those out there looking to build new product businesses or those out there that have existing product businesses and are trying to grow them. Realistically, there's a lot that should go into your process before you come around to building or before you come into talking about major pivots or building significantly on whatever progress you previously have had with your product company. I'm talking about market research, the things you can do to learn more about your market, to understand the offerings that are out there, so on and so forth. There's so much to talk about here, but realistically selling concepts before you build them, right? It's, there's something that I always maintain uh, myself because I've, I've experienced this and I've been a victim of it myself as well too, is that, to me, engineering slows you down, right? Building, writing code, executing before you plan, and knowing really what you should be executing on can be a real trap to fall into. So 
I'd love to pick your brain about this topic. Uh, start wherever you'd like, and we can kind of just go from there as far as like, how do I go about putting myself in that mindset of doing the market research that I should be doing before I make these big bets? Oh, man, right, right on. And I mean, mindset is one thing I want to come back to for sure, because the, the, the word there is so important in terms of just shifting the way that you should be thinking about things. Um, we see that all the time. But, uh, you know, first and foremost, in terms of just like one of the comments and, and quotes that we always use is uh, sharpening the axe, right? Like if I, Abraham Lincoln said, if I had six hours to cut down a tree, I'd spend the first four sharpening my axe. Sharpening the axe is the planning before you start chopping. So I think most engineers and most idea people have this crazy idea and they're like, we got to get to work on it. Let's just go, go, go. And they, that's basically the equivalent of starting to chop without sharpening the ax. And so in our world, we think of sharpening the ax for something like that as being identifying the personas of who's going to use your tool, who's going to use the service, the app, whatever it is that you're going to build uh, to make sure that there's a need for it, right? So we do these personas, we might identify there's three potential users for this app that are like the highest value users that you need to adapt as early, or adopt as early adopters. And you start to think about, well, what will they need to see as the features that we're gonna build as the most important to solve their problems? That's another challenge is people dive right into the features and like wanna promote the features that solve the problems that people typically have without really exploring and communicating the problems uh, beforehand. Like, for example, uh, we have a client we're working with now that, um, you know, they, they do basically commodity trading and they have a platform for commodity trading. And the problems that most of the people that are coming to them have are that they're using Excel as the like tool that they use to, to map their commodities or whatever they're doing in their, in their current platform, or they're using another tool. And one of the things that we kind of pick apart is that there are, there are limitations that they're hitting that are that pain that they try and they're really trying to solve. And when you're marketing, you want to try and really find that pain first and see how much of a gap you can fill between the pain that that person has and what it is that you're going to be building. Um, once you uncover that pain point and the, the gap that you're trying to solve, that's when you're able to do the competitive research of what else is out there. Instead of just looking at, I have a product that solves this one problem, and going and looking at it, you really need to identify what are the pain points that we're looking to accomplish for what personas, and then what competitors are out there that try and accomplish the same or, or solve the same pain points that I'm looking to solve. Couldn't have said it better myself. I love the fact that you pressed on the pain, right? Start with the pain, which is realistically the problems, right? And I'd had a conversation about this recently myself, where it's want to know what to do next, but aren't sure how to go about it. And it all has to start with the problems right? because you're not connecting it to those problems. You could be building solutions to, for things that problems don't exist, right? And that's the huge risk. That's where you start to spin your wheels, lose traction, and ultimately run the risk of your project failing. So I'd love to hear more from you with regard to this. Uh, the framework is, is excellent. It produces results. Uh, but in terms of if I'm getting started, right, I have I have my idea and that that is another one of the pitfalls is, mm -hmm latch onto this idea and you just run with it because you get excited, you get passionate about what it is you want to do. You see there may be potentially a gap in the market or you think you have a good idea, but it's unsubstantiated or you haven't validated it. I don't have enough data to back me up that says, yes, there's a market for this or I don't really understand the landscape. Can you talk us through how you would set that up as far as doing that research, right? What, what, are, the, what are the things you need to do in order to have a certain level of confidence there before you start investing more time and effort 
into this as a product business, right? How, how do I know that this thing is going to be relatively viable? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a couple of different ways that it totally depends, I think, on the product itself. Um, you know, if it's, if it's, for example, in an industry or an area that you don't have a lot of expertise in, but it sounds cool, the clear answer is that you need to gut, that, gut check that against somebody that has the domain expertise in that area to see if it's a viable idea. Um, so conversations are always the first place, right? Like, don't just have the idea, hold it in your head and say, I'm not telling that person because they might go and run with it. Nobody wants to work on your idea. I mean, the, the, the likelihood that somebody's going to take your idea and build it is slim to none. Um, I'm sure it happens and, and that, that definitely is a good use for NDAs and all that type of stuff. But, you know, if it's at its infancy, the feedback is well worth the risk of that somebody is going to take it and run with it, especially if it's in a domain, in a domain space that they know. So I, I like to do, uh, you know, kind of a test of like talking to somebody that will not give me just the, the, you know, would give me the honest feedback and not just tell me what I want to hear about whether or not this is a viable idea and who is it for. And not just one person, but a group of people, not all together, independently, one-on-one, -on -one, getting their feedback, getting their thoughts and amassing that knowledge from them and, and trying to, you know, see if it's a good idea. And then secondly, once I have that and I say, okay, well, those perspectives have been important. I've got a series of perspectives. I'm writing down again, the problem that I think it solves and really trying to hone in on it. Um, there's ways to test building a following before you build the whole product. I mean, very often, like before somebody even launches, we do kind of a beta or a, like a, a VIP following phase where we'll build a landing page, try and get um, you know, email addresses through the landing page, try and get a following on social media to drum up some interest in this thing and have something that's VIP and exclusive only for that audience. It's the same model as like a Kickstarter that you know, is, is on the startup and you're pre-funding the idea before you've actually done it, but it's a way to get interest before you actually go about building something to make sure that it's a viable idea. Pinterest started that way. I mean, I don't know if you guys ever remember that, but there was this, this screen that was just early access. We'll let you in once we see if there's enough space in here for you. And then they asked you for an email address and 10 minutes later you got an email and you were in. But you had that little bit of like a, yeah, this is cool, I wanna check this thing out. Um, that does another thing too, which is it kind of piques people's interest is trying to get inside on something that might be you know, valuable to them before other people have access to it. So it's a good way to test whether or not it's a viable idea by having that, you know, that problem put at the forefront and trying to build a following or a group of people that you can sell to that validates that it's a good idea because they would need the product. Chock full of value there. There's a ton of things that I would absolutely love to unpack, but going back a little further, one of the one of the kind of the themes that you communicated was don't worry about anyone stealing your idea. And this is huge. I come across this as a speed bump in the process all the time. People are afraid to share their ideas. I always revert back to one of my favorite quotes there from Howard Aiken, one of the godfathers of computing. He said, don't worry about anyone stealing your idea. If your idea is any good, you're gonna have to hammer it down people's throats. <laughs> <laughs> That's so good. That's great, that. right? Sure. Communicates itself effectively because like you said, the, the risk reward there. Well, I think what most people don't realize is that the biggest risk to the success of your project is that you're not telling enough people and you're going to put, you're going to do all these steps out of sequence. You're going to execute, you're going to build, and you haven't done everything else that you've mentioned after we started talking about that as well too, right? Doing the market research, understanding whether or not there's room in the market for your product, understanding what level of attraction you can gain from people who could ultimately become prospects or customers, right? Like, is there, 
what is the what the, what is the viability of this product idea look like? So that's one. The other that you mentioned as well too is being careful with building something for which you're not a subject matter expert, right? I've fallen into that trap myself personally, where I've built product businesses around areas that I did not know particularly well. I'm talking about the institutional knowledge that brings with it, right? Like if I know auto mechanics really well, that's great. If I can build a product for that, I can use the processes to do that because I already understand the industry. Right. But if I'm talking about home remodeling and I don't know the first thing about working on a house, right? I've got a whole lot of learning to do before I'm gonna be at a certain level of proficiency. And I think people underestimate that. So I think that's really important factor as well too. I see a lot of ideas that are solid, at least fundamentally, but go sideways relatively quickly because the subject matter expertise is missing and people underestimate how heavy a lift it is to gain that subject matter expertise to do something as significant as build a product business around it. Um, well, I, and I think too, I mean, not to cut you off there, but I think one of the major things that you have, like anybody building a product has to assume that they do not know everything. Like in general, the best and most successful people are not people that go about their lives thinking they know everything. And so you're building a product. Number one, if you've never built a product before, then there's a lot that you don't know about life cycle and development and all that stuff, which is important to understand at least the basics of that, unless you're trusting somebody with that. Um, but beyond that, like you said, the domain expertise around would somebody use this? Why would they use this? When would they use this? The more information that you can gather from valuable sources, the more you're sharpening that ax before you actually start to chop. And I don't think that that stops. That's also not a once and done. The best companies, the best product companies put in place a communication methodology with their, their users from day one. And they know what the user's pulse is and they have an ability to just take a request and make it a feature request right away because they know that over the time of working with, with their, their users, um, there's going to be competition. There's going to be things pulling those users' eyeballs away from things. And so you need to just make sure you have a pulse on what's, what's going to resonate with them. Well put, for sure. Uh, super important. And kind of another thing I wanted to talk about as well, too. So, so you also talked about, right, how do we understand, how do we know that we have enough to kind of get moving with? So you've mentioned, and the way I would reiterate that is the qualitative data. You've had conversations with people, you've learned things, you can extract the trends, now you've got something to go based off of. Then you can put things out there to kind of organize these thoughts, what you've learned from people, break, build these personas, get some marketing copy up on a website, test it out, see if you can capture some leads, see if you can connect with people, maybe put a couple of bucks behind it and ad spend. I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about this. It's like, once I start have some of that preliminary data coming back from those qualitative interviews, what do I do with it, right? How do I, how do I convert that into resources that can help me understand what this landscape looks like to further um, confirm or deny my suspicions for what I might wanna do next? Yes, this is a great question. So um, you mentioned something around paid media and like running, put a, putting a couple bucks behind your idea to try and advertise it. So especially for the early infancy of launching a product, that's extremely valuable, not just to test whether or not it will sell, but also to gain the data back from somebody like Google on a Google keyword campaign of what are the actual terms that people use to search for this pain, right? And that informs you even more than you had expected before because they're actual market terms of what people use as the terminology to search for the, the answer. Or, or the first they search for the pain and the problem and then they search for the answer. And in both cases, if you have your ad campaign set up for capturing that kind of data, 
you're able to leverage that to help the, the analysis on the, the analysis in the direction of the product. Um, features, I think is a lot tougher. I mean, I wouldn't speak to that as much as probably you could in terms of how do you know what the next feature is to build in. But from a marketing standpoint, the pain comes from identifying the personas, identifying the customer journey of those personas, figuring out along that journey, where are they gonna be looking for and seeking this information? Where can we plant the information for them to find it? And especially like for us, a lot of that might be inbound and, and content strategy to try and reach them on social channels or SEO or paid media to bring them back in to the site using you know uh, the right content at the right time on the right platform. So um, you know, I, I think it's, it's, a, it's a cycle that you need to set up for optimizing constantly, putting a little bit of dollars up front on that to an MVP landing page, let's say, uh, definitely gives you a lot of insight up front. It probably doesn't solve the problem for you, but it gives you the start of optimizing and taking it inch by inch. You've mentioned a couple times in, in terms like cycle and process. I'd love to take an opportunity to pick your brain a little bit about, right? There's this, it's kind of a stigma, I guess, if you will, in building product businesses when you, you know, you latch onto that idea, you take it forward as far as you can, and then it doesn't turn you into an overnight millionaire, right? <laughs> something, something doesn't go well, right? So now, now it's like, oh no, now what, right? Well, what do I do at this point? Well, we've talked about this at length. I'd love to hear you articulate it for the audience as well too, right? Getting into that mindset of understanding that lessons learned that turn into pivots ultimately are, can be a really good thing for you and should be part of the process, not something to fear. It's more like something to embrace. So I'd love to hear you talk about this because people with expertise in marketing, this is just something that's super comfortable for them because you guys are always running experiments, but yeah. how would you communicate the importance of this and how to think about it, right? Putting yourself in the right mindset for those that are looking to uh, build and grow product businesses. Yeah, see, see, the, it's funny you said mindset because I said we'd come back around to this. It always comes up, but what it is is that mindset around, I've now hit a roadblock. Am I going to stop here and not power through it? Or am I going to just barrel through it and figure it out? The problem why people don't figure it out in my mind is because they thought I'll launch this thing. It will become an, a you know, million dollar idea really quickly. And then I will be super successful as a result of it. What I would suggest is instead have the attitude that I am going on a journey. And this journey is going to be a learning evolution of the things that I need to know to properly run this business. Because there's no end to it. I mean, it's not like, yeah, you might be thinking about it for selling, but at the same time, you have to build it and run it first. So if you have the mindset that I'm going to learn and each obstacle is going to teach me and each of those obstacles that teach me is going to allow me to build a better product for my users around a community of people that I solve their problems, then you will continually just look at each of those roadblocks as an opportunity to like do better for your, your people and learn from it. And I think of that in terms of like, if you're an entrepreneur and you built that product and you're working on that product, that's probably your first product of six that you're going to do in your lifetime. So that obstacle is a lesson that you need to learn for the remaining five that you're going to build. And it's important for you to get over that hurdle so that you adapt to it. Um, and, you know, I keep saying mindset. There's a great book on mindset that is, that's kind of like been, uh, been, you know, ingrained into my head in terms of you didn't hit that obstacle and get nothing out of it. You either didn't hit the obstacle and you succeeded and got the finances and success or whatever, or you hit that obstacle. And if you don't get over it, then you don't get the lesson from that obstacle that you were supposed to get. So 
that to me is the, the product generation and one-on-one type stuff is always be learning, always be listening. Super well put. It reminds me of an experience I had where I was kind of, I was, I was communicating basically my frustrations with, a, with a, one of my original product failures, building a product business to an angel investor. And he just straight up cut me off as I was like up on my soapbox. And he said, it wasn't a failure. It was a lesson learned. It's just a matter of what you do with it after the fact. If you choose not to do anything with it, that's totally on you. But you learned, you know, what didn't work. But at the same time, knowing what doesn't work helps you get a lot closer to what will work. So like you said, putting yourself in that right mindset can, can be super powerful. Um, Absolutely. It's, but you know, it really is discouraging though. I mean, they, they, I totally understand it. I know the mindset of like hitting a roadblock on something that you've tried and built in the past. Um, and especially it's like, you know, the best laid plans. I have kids. So the kids always want to know what, what's our plan for the day and you set the expectations. And then all of a sudden if something changes and you don't end up at that playground that you thought you were going to end up with, <laughs> end up at, they're devastated, right? It's like, how do I get over right. this? So you know, in many ways, we're all learning how to adapt and, and, and to uh, get over the fact that my best laid plan was not exactly the right plan. Um, but getting into a cycle of I'm always learning, I'm always listening, and I'm always going to adapt to what, what happens is, you know, the way to start off and the way to continue. Absolutely. Very well put, managing expectations. And if you can, if you can find yourself falling in love with that learning process, which I ultimately over time just kind of adopted, it it really helps you throughout this process of becoming comfortable with and realizing that it's the journey and you're not just constantly going hundred miles an hour towards certain milestones, but you're, you're always engaged and you're always involved in it. And, and the yeah. more you learn, the better you get at it. Oh, right on. And I mean, I, I, even so far as like the way to market yourself and your product, um, you know, you're always learning and testing and growing the way that you're going to market it. So even if we, if we did personas, we did customer journey and now we're building content, that tries to you know, get people into a site or a product, uh, maybe it's to set up a free trial or whatever it is, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna be on a journey of a couple of months of creating content. Some of the content's gonna work great and some of it's not gonna work as well as you thought it was going to. But over a time period, you start to really be able to look at historically what has worked and what hasn't and amass a great amount of data about what the market really wants and what really it resonates with people. And if you have your data points set up, which I think is an important piece for anybody that software as a service of like, where did that conversion come from? What did they look at? You know, we use HubSpot, we love HubSpot, but you know, um, take it from the amount of content that they've put in place on their own site to try and adapt people, uh, to draw people in has been hugely successful. But beyond that, using that as a tool for marketing, um, brings people into that tool set and allows you to see what did they look at. So you could use that type of data to say, well, what was their pain? What feature did they land on and sculpt your site around various pages for various features? So you could start to see what did that visitor look at and then start doing the data points on, wow, man, we've got a like the Holy grail would be data points to say, we've got somebody that stuck around with us for three years using our software already hasn't left, has no desire to leave. And when we look at that data point of people that have been there and not, you know, not in our attrition pool of people leaving, they're ones that came in with this pain and saw these feature sets. And we know that that's the one that works. And once you get to that cycle, now you're always listening, you're always learning, you're able to produce content in that area for that pain to solve that problem and know that those are going to produce the most high value, you know, people in, in your, your product. Fantastic. 
And that reminds me of something else I wanted to ask you about on the show as well, too, is can you talk to us a little bit about, right, all of these things are important, but figuring out how do I manage my budget? How do I think about spend when it comes to these things? How do I think about potential payback period and thinking about them in the right way, right? Some of these things are more of a longer term investment. Some of them are a shorter term investment, but thinking about them in the right way that just ensures that we continue to make progress for our respective projects. Yeah, it's um, it, it's hard to, it's hard to just nail down like a, what's the number I should put for marketing without knowing what's your total budget, what's your total revenue desire for the year, and some of those other numbers. And you know, there there are some agencies that will tell you just take twenty percent of your projected revenue and throw it towards marketing if you're in a growth phase, and if you're sustaining, then ten percent. Um, but it but it really truly depends. I mean, the thing that I would say is if you're in a startup realm and nobody knows about you, and you have to shout from the rooftop or, or ram the idea down somebody's throat, like you're saying, that's gonna cost money. That's gonna cost a lot more than you probably, whatever you thought it was gonna be, it's gonna be more than that, right? It's like the kitchen renovation in your house or the bathroom renovation in your house. Whatever you thought it was gonna be, it's gonna be more than that. But uh, but yeah, that's that's the, the attitude I would have is allocate a budget for it, be flexible with it, and try and spend less. Think of the budget as over a time period almost like you would put money into the stock market. If you had $200,000 in cash, you wouldn't put it all into the market day one because then you're basically betting on this time period. So you would, I forget what they call it, dollar cost averaging it into the market or something like that, where you might invest a portion this month and next month and so on. That's the way you gotta look at marketing. Because if you're able to then say, I'm gonna take $100,000 marketing this idea, this product, and instead of spending all 100 up front, I'm going to want to spend more later once I have the data on what's going to work. So I'm going to take that hundred and, or let's say it's 120 and make numbers even over a course of a year, instead of spending a thousand dollars or I'm sorry, $10,000 a month, you should spend 2000 the first month and use that as your ad spend and whatever. Uh, keep trying to like inch up to the point where you get what we call a return on ad spend or ROAS to the point where you're at two and a half, three X and it's successful. And then you're able to spend more to make more. Um, so you're really looking at it as an investment. You're looking at it strategically about how many users do we need to be able to accommodate the spend that we have and try and drum up a spreadsheet, which I can show you many of that I've done for people of like, at what point do we have our break even and how much do we need to invest to be able to test the idea is going to be successful before we even get to the point of building this thing. So um, there's various stages there and hopefully that answers the question at least a little bit. It does. It provides a framework for how to think about it, right? Because it's a loaded question, obviously. And instead, everyone's in different phases. They need to think about it in the right way. And I think an excellent analogy that you provided is thinking about it in terms of dollar cost averaging, right? Like contributing to it a little bit over time and monitoring it, making sure that it's helping you, you know, drive you closer to your goals. So, uh, Ben, can't thank you enough for being here, sharing your awesome knowledge with myself and your audience. I have two questions for you before we let you go. And the first one is, what resources would you share with uh, myself and the audience? Yeah, so on the product build side, I think one of the biggest ones that I would probably recommend is Baifu. Um, that's one of them and answer the public. Uh, just in terms of marketing, looking at what, so, so let me talk about the what it is that you need to do first and then why these tools will be effective. So you wanna look at the competitive landscape of who's buying ads for the product that you're building what are the relevant terms around that and who are the competitors in the landscape? And SpyFu will let you put in like keywords and uh, pivot around those keywords, the competitors that exist in that market 
and you know leverage that to be able to figure out uh, who exists and who is already paying for that space and paying for those terms. Um, secondary to that might be Google Trends, which uh, I think it's google.com slash trends, to look at the market opportunity around certain search terms to see what's trending and what's not. I mean, if you looked at social distancing, which is one of my favorite ones to look at recently, look at social distancing over the last, even I think it's one year or five years you could look at. And it's just crazy because you're getting the Google trend analysis on people searching for that term. Um, and then on top of that, just, just search for the product that you think you're going to build. Like literally, you don't want to see it because you don't want to know that it exists. I know the way that people think, right? It's like, if I search for this and I find it, I'll be devastated because I thought it was the best idea in the world. But look it up. Like look for every variation of it. Try and find it. Build a spreadsheet of competitors. Do your own SWOT analysis and figure that out. And that's helpful. And then uh, the other one, I, so I mentioned SpyFu. And I'm already blanking on the other one that I mentioned. What was the other one? Spy answer Fu. the public. Answer the public. So answer the public is, uh, you know, what it basically gives you the variations of a question that you might ask the way that other people might ask them. So that's helpful because if you think you're solving a problem, there's probably, I don't know, when you search for it, it will give you probably 50 or 60 other ways that people ask similar questions or what are their other questions around it that give you the, what we call topic clusters around that topic to be able to identify what the other relevant pain is um, amongst the market and the audience. So I love that tool. Yeah, that's a lot of value there. I'm going to be, I'm going to be linking to those tools and thank you for providing the background on them as well too. That's super helpful. I'll put that in the show notes and include the links to those tools as well too and be checking them out myself. I have played with Google Trends before. It's fascinating. You search for something like gym memberships and you see the giant spike in the beginning of the year and yeah. that trails off. It's, it's amazing what, how it mimics it, but a lot of awesome tools to provide a lot of value. And then uh, last question I have for you, Ben, is who should reach out to you and how can they get in touch? Yeah, well, I'm happy to have this conversation with anybody that's looking to try and you know, uh, build audience, like, I, like uh, you said in the intro there. Uh, anybody that's looking to build audience or grow their business around marketing and maybe has been trying things and it's not working or is about to set off with some funding and trying to spend that money and doesn't want to do it ineffectively. Um, that's a good fit for a conversation for me and my team. Uh, they could reach me on emails. Definitely the best at ben at creativemms.com. But I definitely welcome you to uh, check out the website and see what we do at creativemms.com. That's creative, M as in Mary, M as in Mary, S as in Sam.com. Um, and, you know, always fill out the contact form. I see anything that comes through there. And uh, there's also a lot of good information there on some of the stuff that we touched on here that would be helpful, I'm sure, for anybody. Thank you very much, Ben. And I'll include links to that in the show notes as well. And thank you for being here and sharing your knowledge uh, with myself and our audience. Thanks for having me, Sean. I appreciate it, man. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Product Launch Podcast powered by Next Step. If you or anyone you know is involved in scaling a B2B SaaS business, please have them reach out to me about becoming a potential guest on our show. They can email me at sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P At this time, we'd like to take a moment to thank the sponsor of our show, Next Step Consulting. Would you like to know what the right next steps are for your B2B SaaS business? Are you trying to grow and scale, but you're stuck? We can help. To find out how Next Step can help your B2B SaaS business achieve its goals, please email me, sean at nextstep.io. That's S-E-A-N at N-X-T-S-T-E-P dot I-O. Thanks and keep disrupting.
Hey folks, Sean here, and thanks for listening to this episode. I hope you got a ton of value out of it. If you did, I'd encourage you to also sign up for my free five-day email course about launching a profitable B2B SaaS application for less than $750. If you'd like to sign up for that course, you can do so at nextstep.io forward slash B2B SaaS.